Welcome to Den North Church. We're glad you're here. If this is your first time here, thanks for coming. We just have a couple, actually just one announcement today. Um, our small groups start this week, so whether you're in college, um, normally doing focus, uh, or you're out of college or not doing college, you're welcome to come to these. They meet on Tuesday and Wednesday night. So we have two groups that meet on Tuesdays, um, both at 7.30, and on Wednesday night we have one that starts at 7 and another one that starts at 7.30. If you need more information on that, you can contact any of the numbers that are on the screen or on our Denton North Facebook page. There's all the information with the addresses on there as well. Um, so yeah, feel free to join uh, any of those groups. Um, and then real quick, I'm just going to pray over our offering and pray over Leslie today before she preaches. So God, thank you so much for this day and for bringing us all together and for this opportunity that you've given us to come here and worship you, Lord. Um, I just pray that you... Uh, quiet our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say, and I just ask that you speak through um, Leslie today and just uh, give her uh, the words that we're meant to hear, and I just uh, pray for this offering that you um, allow us to have, or that we have generous hearts and that you uh, use it uh, for your will. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Um, I am Leslie. I'm on staff here at Denton North. Um, and thank you, Grant. Um, and I just wanted to um, thank you for praying this morning during the song, inviting the Spirit into our service. You know, as I talk to people, I hear things like, I really have a bad attitude about church. I don't really like the sermons. I go away getting nothing from them. I find them boring and repetitive. And in my human self, that can start to feel like a lot of pressure. Like, I need to make this more exciting, and I need to really be entertaining, and I need to have it all together. But that song and those prayers that you prayed remind me that no matter how much preparation I do, I am never going to be what you need. That's just not gonna happen. But the Spirit is going to be what you need. And so your prayers, inviting the Spirit into our sermon time, into our gathering together, are super important to me and extremely valuable. So when we take time to do that, please don't ever underestimate that. That's probably one of the biggest deals we'll do today. So in thinking about this sermon series, I want to share a little bit about myself. You'll get a little window into uh, how weird I am. Um, so I love fresh starts. I am one of those people, and let me just say before I say this, that Brad is the complete opposite of me, and so he'll be going over here while I'm talking, but I love fresh starts. I've always loved the new year. The holidays are over. I get to clean and put my house back in order. I can forget whatever bad has happened in the previous year. I can look forward to the new things that are going to happen. I get back to routine and to structure after a time of no structure at all. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy a time of having a break from routine, but I'm the happiest and I'm the most productive when I have a schedule and when I have some structure. I also have always loved the start of a new school year. Um, it's one of the things that when I was a teacher, I really enjoyed. 
I love school supplies that have never been opened. It is the best thing in the world. Um, I loved starting from scratch, decorating my room. I loved getting a new group of students. I loved forgetting the challenges of the past year, the failures of the past year. And I loved implementing new organizational ideas and teaching strategies. I also love whenever I finish a journal or a calendar and I get to start a new one. I like to go and pick out just the right one that's going to motivate me, that's going to have colors that make me smile when I look at it. This week, I got to go get a new calendar, and look how pretty it is. It has polka dots, it has stripes, it has colors, and it says, today is the perfect day to be happy. So every time I look at it, it makes me happy, and the things that are in it um, automatically, I just have a good feeling about them. And so I love when I get to get new journals or new calendars um, and think about all the things I'll experience and the memories that I'm going to make. And I think the biggest reason that I like fresh starts is because it's so easy for me to get busy and to just do and to kind of get into the rat race of just getting things done. And fresh starts give me a time to stop and remember why I love doing what I do, why it's valuable to me, the importance it has in my life. It gives me the momentum to move forward, and it reminds me why I choose to live like I do. And so that gives me renewed motivation. As I've talked with many of you recently, I've heard one person after another say that they feel disconnected from God and that they need a refresh in their relationship with him. And there are a lot of reasons for this. Some of you have been leading focus cores, and some people have been leading adult small groups, and you've gotten busy taking care of others and have let your relationship with God slide. Sometimes I think that we're just people that like to do rather than be, and so it's hard for us to feel significant when we're not working and when we're not seeing tangible, somewhat immediate results. Over the years, I've realized that I need fresh starts in my relationship with God. I've found that for whatever reason, there's a cyclical nature to my relationship with him. Like I spend time listening to him, I spend time in the word, I spend time talking to him, and I feel confident in who I am, I feel peaceful, um, that's not to say that everything's perfect. Sometimes that's in the middle of really hard things, but I feel grounded in him. I feel secure in him. I feel energized. And then slowly but surely, I quit doing the things that keep me connected to him. And I start trying to work on my own energy. I feel like I'm not enough for the task. I'm overwhelmed and feel guilty and exhausted and I become disconnected from the one who is my power and my strength. I need a fresh start to pull me back to that place of security and confidence and peace. And I need a fresh start to get back into habits and routines and disciplines that keep me close to him. Now, this cycle should not come as a surprise to me. Through the Old Testament, God tells his people over and over again, remember, don't forget. Remember, don't forget. Because they went through the same cycle. 
that we oftentimes go through. It's why I find so much value in camp, retreats, seminars, in worship each week, in communion each week, even in sermons. They're fresh starts that pull me back to my center, and they remind me why I do what I do. It's one of the reasons I'm convinced that God put us in community specifically for that. I think Sundays, or whenever we meet together, are supposed to be our fresh starts. They encourage me and motivate me to reconnect with God, who then refreshes my heart and mind to see him clearly, to see myself clearly, to see our body clearly, and to see my ministry clearly. They remind me to remember and not to forget. And as I think through that, it occurs to me that I can create my own fresh start. Like, I don't have to wait for a new school year. I don't have to wait to finish a journal. I don't have to wait for another new year to roll around. And I think summer is a good time for us to do that. We're about halfway through the year, and it's a good time for a fresh start. It's a good time to refresh my relationship with God. And so for the month of June, the title I've given our sermon series is Refreshing Our Relationship with God. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says, So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I think that's a great theme scripture for refreshing our relationship with God. And in thinking about how to refresh it, I think we start by what that verse says, continuing to live in him. I think we start by remembering the commitment we made to him. Yes. Yes, I will. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So I think our question becomes, what will help me remain faithful to my commitment? What will help me remain faithful to my commitment? John 15, 5 says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So another way to ask that question is, how do I remain in him? A few weeks ago, Grant in his sermon about faith talked about the importance of having a regular rhythm of scripture and prayer, among other things, as we put down roots of faith. And this is where spiritual disciplines are really helpful. They're the things that help me stay connected to God. And we tend to think of those, at least I tend to think of those, and I'm sure there are some of you that can relate to this and some of you that can't. But I tend to think of those things in terms of rules and in terms of controls. And so I think of it in terms of I have to read my Bible. I have to pray. I have to meditate. I have to go to church. I have to tell others about Jesus. I have to give. And if I don't do those things, then God's love for me as well as my salvation is in question. But this way of thinking about disciplines has not served us well. It's led us to be legalistic. 
It's led us to be focused on ourselves, on our performance and our ability, the very things that Jesus came to set us free from. Henry Nouwen, in his article, Solitude to Community to Ministry, gives us a definition of discipline that I find much more helpful. In the spiritual life, discipline means the effort to create some space in which God can act. In the spiritual life, discipline means the effort to create some space in which God can act. He goes on to say, discipline means that somewhere you're not occupied and certainly not preoccupied. In the spiritual life, discipline means to create that space in which something can happen that you hadn't planned or counted on. And he goes on to discuss three disciplines that help us remain faithful disciples. There's solitude, community, and ministry. So the series is Refreshing Our Relationship with God, and the sermons are on refreshing our relationship with God through solitude, through community, and through ministry. This week, I'll talk about solitude. Next week, Kurt's going to talk about community. And the following week, Miriam will talk about ministry. And the final week, I'll wrap it all up. The name of the article, and I was just going to say that, um, a lot of the thoughts that we're going to share started with this article. And while it's not necessary for you to read it to understand the sermons, I found it very, very helpful, and I would encourage you to read it. Um, the first time I read it, I knew immediately that I wanted to share some of it with you. And so um, I, again, highly recommend reading it. I'll post a link on Facebook, but you can just Google Solitude to Community to Ministry by Henry Nowen, and you'll find it. But it's a lengthy read. It's about 10 pages long. Um, so you'll need to carve out some time, but it's been um, a good catalyst for me in my relationship with God. So solitude. I asked Troy to sing uh, the song, Lord, I Need You, before I started the sermon today. There's a line in that song that says, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you. And that comes from a very old hymn called, I Need Thee Every Hour. The hymn was written by a woman named Annie Sherwood Hawks in 1872. She displayed a gift for writing poetry at the early age of 14, and she contributed poems on a regular basis to a variety of newspapers. She was married in 1859, and much of her life centered on the domestic aspects of raising three children. She was a member of Hanson Place Baptist Church in Brooklyn, New York, where Dr. Robert Lowry, who was a prominent writer of gospel songs, was her pastor. And so he encouraged the gift that he saw in her poetry. And when she shared the poem, I Need Thee Every Hour, Dr. Lowry wrote the music and turned it into a hymn, and then he added the chorus to it. And over her lifetime, she went on to compose over 400 hymns. In speaking about the writing of this song, she said, One day, as a young wife and mother of 37 years of age, I was busy with my regular household tasks during a bright June morning. Suddenly, I became so filled with the sense of nearness to the Master that wondering how one could live without him, either in joy or pain, these words were rushed, ushered into my mind. 
the thought at once taking full possession of me. I need thee every hour. There were a lot of women around the 19th century that wrote these personal devotional hymns like this particular one, and it provides glimpses into the lives of women that were segregated from positions of leadership by their gender, even in the church. And with little or no voice in the public arena, they were able to speak through the songs that they wrote. And one person made the comment, now the sermons and speeches made by so many men in the public sectors of church and society have long been forgotten, but the songs of these women whose primary arena was the relative quiet of the home are still sung. They knew who they were. They knew that they were loved by God. And so they could radiate joy no matter where they were, what they were doing, or what limitations were placed on them by society. And an interesting observation is that she says that she wrote this song, I Need Thee Every Hour, in, her, in an hour of sweet serenity and peace. I think for most of us, we don't think of those words in our times of serenity and peace. We think of those words in our times of need and crisis. And Matt Maurer, who wrote the song we sang, not this song, but that had this line in it, said, joy isn't just a happy emotion. It is also a deep peace and understanding of knowing we are loved without a shadow of a doubt. And that's what solitude with God is all about. Solitude with God is about being with God and God alone and letting him tell you that you are loved without a shadow of a doubt. It's about believing we need him every hour. And so my question is, are you leaving space for that in your life? Are you leaving space for God to tell you that you're loved without a shadow of a doubt? See, this idea is exemplified in Jesus's life. And I picked a few scriptures I want to share with you, but there are tons of scriptures about this. Um, Luke 6, 6 through 12 says this, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to him, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them all, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was complete re completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. See, how did Jesus deal with people that were looking for a reason to accuse him? For people who watched him closely, for people who would get furious with him and that talked about what they might do to him. That sounds stressful to me. Um, that sounds like a tough life to me. But Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying 
because he was creating space for God to tell him he was his beloved. Mark 1, 35 through 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. When everybody is looking for me, the last thing I want to do is go to a place where there are more people and preach. That is not my first thought, but Jesus had already spent time in solitude with God, letting him tell him that he was the beloved and what his mission was. And so he was ready and prepared to go out and do what he needed to do, even in the face of everyone looking for him. Luke 5, 15 and 16. Yet the news around him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So again, we see crowds of people looking for him and wanting him to heal them but he spent his time with God. And then the last one is Matthew 14, 22 and 23. This is after the feeding of the 5,000. And it just says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. So again, we see him spending time in solitude with God. When Jesus spent time alone, the first one was Luke 6, 6 through 12. You're welcome. When Jesus spent time alone with God, he heard the same voice that he heard when he came up out of the Jordan River after he was baptized. You are my beloved son. As we've seen in the examples above, Jesus listened to that voice often. And because he did, he knew who he was. And he was able to walk through life, whether people were praising him, laughing at him, arguing with him, applauding him, accepting him, or rejecting him. See, Jesus knew he was loved by God. And we are also loved by God. How do I know that? because scripture tells us that. Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 1 John 3.1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. See great love that is lavished on us. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And two more, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children 
and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Though we are many things, sinners, ministry leaders, sons, daughters, parents, grandparents, friends, neighbors, entrepreneurs, men, women, speech pathologists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, engineers, teachers, students, retirees, God only sees us as one thing, his beloved. That's who we are. That's our identity. But here's where the problem comes. We don't always feel loved. Sometimes we feel anything but loved. We feel forgotten. We feel overlooked, maybe even cursed. The world tells us that we're unloved because we're not married, because we're not living our dream, because we're not making a lot of money, because we're not working a job in our degree field, because we don't have children, because we didn't get a degree, because we haven't traveled extensively, because we didn't come from a loving family, because we are depressed or anxious or physically sick, because we weigh too much, because we're too old or too young, and on and on the list goes. And all of these things can make us feel as if we're not loved. That is why we desperately need to create space for God to remind us that we are loved over and over again until it sinks deep into our hearts. Then we, like Jesus, can walk through whatever life has to throw at us. We can deal with success and we can deal with failure without losing our identity because he's told us our identity, loved by God. The world is more than willing to tell us who we are. The problem with that is most of the time it's lies. Only God can tell us who we truly are, and that's why spending time with him is important. When we understand who we are to him, that we're his beloved, then we can worship him appropriately. When we let God tell us how loved we are and we don't expect others to give the kind of love only God can, then we can fulfill God's vision of community. When we let God tell us how deeply we are loved, then we can see that other people are deeply loved by God. And that's where ministry begins. So what does solitude look like? The first thing I'll say here is that there is no secret formula for this. Like, I'm not going to tell you, here's three things you can do, and solitude will be, be effective, and you'll feel loved by God. That's not how it works. What works for me may not work for you, and what works for me right now may not work for me three months from now. And so I find myself always searching out new ways of connecting to God which if any of you are in relationship, whether that's a marriage or a friendship or a boyfriend and girlfriend or whatever, you know that's the truth. You always have to find new ways to relate and connect, and it's no different with God. So I'm going to give you some ideas here, but this is in no way exhaustive. And so just know that if none of these sticks out to you, then you need to find something that does. So the first one is 
Solitude, you can, in solitude, you can do chores, you can write, you can draw, you can dance, you can compose, you can walk, you can sit. Solitude doesn't mean that you have to do nothing. So that's an important point about solitude. Secondly, solitude means you're focused on God. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be alone, although that can be helpful. You can be among other people and still be with God and be focused on him. Hopefully that's what happens when we're all together as a group. Third, start simple. When I read this article, I thought, I want to sit and ask God to speak to me. And he suggested in the article, starting with half an hour, and I thought, there's no way. There's no way I can do half an hour. Like, my mind will be everywhere. And so I decided that I would start with 10 minutes. And that sounds really baby and really simple, but that's where I needed to start, and so that's what I did. So I would encourage you to start simple, five or 10 minutes. What I found was as I sat for 10 minutes, gradually I would want to sit longer. And so there were some days that I wound up sitting 15 or 20 minutes. Ask God, oh, start with a simple verse from the Bible. So just take something short, something simple, and just read that to yourself several times. And then I would ask God a question about it. Um, And then I would let God tell me the real truth of that verse and help move it from my mind into my heart. The fourth thing about solitude is that you talk to God, but mostly you listen. And that's a really hard one for us. And then fifth, trust in solitude, God will speak to you. It's not a magical, immediate voice, but he speaks to you gradually over the minutes, over the hours, and over the years. And I know that's really frustrating for some of you, that it doesn't come immediately. But when I think back on the things about God that I really know and I'm really convicted of, it did not come for sitting down one hour one day and asking him to speak to me. It came from sitting down over and over and over again, asking God to speak to me. And see, I'm revealing something about myself there when I'm saying sitting down. That's where I do most of mine. Walking sometimes, but sitting down. I have a certain place that I go. Um, But those things that are really in my heart are the things it's taken years for him to put there. And that's why I think it's important for us to refresh our relationship with him because we need that consistency of coming to him. So let me give you an example of what that looks like. Okay, so a simple scripture, 1 John 4, 19, I love because you first loved me. And I personalized that verse. I like to do that. I love because you first loved me. And I like to write. Words are my thing. I'm not creative. I don't like to draw. I don't like to compose. I don't like to dance, probably because I'm not good at any of those things. But I do like to write. And I like to write. I like to journal. I like to write poetry. I like to write stories. Um, It's how I connect with God. So the first thing I do is I write that scripture. And I'll write it as 
many times as I want to. Like sometimes I'll only write it once, but sometimes I want to write it five or six times. And then I ask God, what does it mean that you loved me first? And that's my question for him. What does that mean? And then I listen. And then I write down anything that I think he's telling me about that. And so what that looked like, um, one of the days that I did that, was his answer to what does it mean that you loved me first was, I initiated. That's what God said to me. I initiated. That's what that means. It means I deemed you worthy of love before you did anything. And it means you are loved. That's what that means. So in just 10 minutes of sitting, that's what I got that day. And that was enough to propel me on through my day to remember that I love because he loved me first. I am deeply loved and I can love other people because of that. And that sounds so cheesy and that sounds so simple, but guys, it is the truth. And if I'm not acting out of that truth, then I'm not acting for the right reason. See, if I'm not loving because God loved me first, then I'm not loving for the right reason. It's still helpful to love even if my reason's not right, but I want to be more like Jesus. And to be more like Jesus, I need to love because he loved me first. So what I wanna do right now is I wanna give you some time um, as we're all together to spend in solitude letting God speak to you. So unless you have a particular verse that you want to use, I'm going to suggest you use Psalms 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And you can go outside and walk. You can write, you can draw, you can just sit. You can move around to another area of the room. But I would just ask that when you start, you set your alarm for 10 minutes and then come back in here um, when your alarm goes off. But before we do that, I want, to, I want to play a song, and I want it to be our prayer before we start this. You're welcome to sing along if you want to. You're welcome to watch the video. For some people, the video is super distracting, so feel free to shut your eyes if you don't want to watch. But just listen to the words of this song and let it be your prayer. And as soon as the song is over, then you can go where you want to go to do your solitude time with God. God, I just pray that you'll remind us daily that we're loved by you so that we can live out our lives based on that truth. Um, I pray that our taking communion together reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross for us and is proof to us that we're loved by you. Thank you for loving us. And I just pray that your love overflows from our lives into the lives of people around us as we try to love them like Jesus did and point them to him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.